Hi again and welcome to Better Than the Movie. I am Jeanette, she is Tamika, and we are here hablando libros. Yes, espanol today. I took, I took French. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, well, hablando libros means talking books. Mm. Yes. yes, I took French because I was a snob and all of the other kids <laughs> took Spanish. And I was like, hmm. Let me do my own thing. <laughs> oh, that Tamika, she always marches to the beat of her own drum. Ever the contrarian. No, um, I don't know why I just thought that it would be so funny. Because there'd be like 10 of us in French 4 and we'd be like going to French restaurants in the city with our French teacher and having a very sophisticated Good time, and then all of the, <laughs> like thirty kids in the Spanish class across the hall with the football coach. <laughs> like, sorry. So, how are you today? You know, hanging. How are you? I am blessed and highly favored. Amen. Amen. I've got some reading in. Yeah. So, I don't really know where to put this. So, I will. Wait until we get to books on our sex our book segment. Okay. Remind me because I have a question I'd like to ask you on air. Okay. So okay. I'm literally going to write myself a note right now because I won't remember that you said this ten minutes from now. Yeah, because we're old and <laughs> we forget things. Hey, so if people are looking for us, they can find us on the internet. Uh, we are on Twitter at better than TM. We're at facebook.com slash better than the movie. And you can find episodes of this here podcast on better than the movie.com. Also on your iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. Anyway, um, you can also call us and leave us a message if you don't feel like writing or typing an email and you want to give us some feedback or ask a question, you can call us at 210-816-2886. Ta-da! Alrighty. So um, this morning, I think the news broke that um, former NAACP chairman and um, activist who was very instrumental in uh, SNCC, uh, Julian Bond, has passed away at the age of I believe uh, 75. 75. Yes, he was 75. Yeah, and I know that we briefly, a lot of people know him as a champion for civil rights, but we briefly um, talked about his poetry um, when we did our show, I think it was episode 14, when we talked about the MLK speeches and yes. um, all of the different Black poets. Um, and he was the one who wrote the Look at That Girl Shaking That Thing, We Can't All Be Martin Luther King right, um, right. couplet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was sad to hear. That's one of those names, like, um, before I got woke, I didn't really know. Like, I knew him. Like, I had seen his face a million times, but I didn't really know his work and know all that he had done. And so, but over the years, I have learned a lot about him and he and his contributions in the civil rights movement. So, um, you had linked here the New York Times that wrote a pretty good um, obituary about him um, and his life, so we encourage you to check that out. If you didn't know, or if you don't know, or if you have young people or old people in your life that don't know very much about him, um, I would highly recommend you check out the 
obituary in the New York Times, I will be saving it um, to use to teach my daughter as we lock, talk about civil rights leaders. And I just want to make sure that we did, um, you know, make mention of his passing, mm -hmm. you know, rest in peace and peace to his family. So rest in peace, Mr. Julian Bond. It's actually Horace Julian Bond, is that right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so link to this excellent article in on Salon. Is it in Salon or on Salon? On Salon. On, on Salon.com. And um, it is titled, The Power of the American Story, colon. <laughs> I want to read something that reaches inside me and rips me up and puts me back together. It's uh, novelist Lauren Francis Sharma. And... He is interviewing Dolan Perkins Valdez. This is a really, really good article for interview, um, mainly because their familiarity with each other was just really charming to me. <laughs> it's like, you know her? Yeah, I talked to him. He didn't seem that friendly. Well, you got to have to know him. And it was just very good conversation. So Yeah, I'm always um, very interested when two Black women writers come together and have conversations mm. because they always run the gamut from, you know, talking about literary things and that nature, and then just talking about, like, the shared Black experience in all aspects of life. So I'm always super interested um, when something like this happens, mm -hmm. um, especially when it's, like, two people who are contemporaries. Right. So uh, tell me, what were some of the things that stuck out to you about this interview? So one of my um, favorite parts of this interview, actually, and I'm trying to scroll to find it, is when Dolan Perkins Valdez is talking about how she doesn't want to write like Toni Morrison, but she wants to write in ways that evoke that same visceral response that she has when she reads Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. I thought mm -hmm. that was very... Um, I thought that was very interesting. I was like, huh, that's true. Because a lot of people, when and especially when it comes to like people who are aspiring writers, um, they want to model their style after someone else who um, whose writings with you know they connect with a lot. Yeah. But your voice isn't that person's voice, and so you're going to run into roadblocks every time you try to replicate that voice if it's inauthentic mm -hmm. um, when you try to do it. So I thought that that was interesting that she said, you know, I'm not trying to write in the ways that she writes, but I'm trying to write in ways that evoke that same physical response. And I think that is very realistic and also very an attainable goal. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. nobody can write like Toni Morrison, but you can definitely try to go for that same feel. And I, I got that. I understand that. I think, you know, I have not read, I still haven't read Balm, but I have read Winch and it did give me that feeling. So, you know, mission accomplished there. I liked the issue, the part they talked about the MFA program and what it meant because I've been, I read something else recently kind of debating internal struggle with going to an MFA program and what that did for him. Alexander Chi. And this kind of, it was interesting that you had linked this because I read that and then I read this and talking about kind of the plan, what it took and what the MFA experience. We talked before in an episode with Sarah was on about our kind of back and forth uh, about going into MFA programs and why um, 
the different reasons that we've chosen not to do it. Um, but it was interesting to see that most people seem to be, I mean, I from everything that I've read, it's never just about the technique. When people walk away, they don't say I'm a better writer because they taught me how to write. It's more I got a chance to live writing, if that makes any sense. I got the chance to be around other people who were who are like-minded, so it's more of the workshop experience and the being in that setting that helped them to be better writers, more so than the technique and, you know what I mean? I really like that part. I also like the part about the making the space for yourself to be a writer. Like, you don't, because these women are moms, and I kind of struggle with that, too. I've had some things past my, you know, email, hey, you should apply, this is a writing workshop, or this is some, a retreat, and it's like, you don't need, you know, you struggle with that, and it's like, mm-hmm. but you don't need a retreat, you know, is basically what they're saying. Make the space um, for yourself and the time. Make your own retreat if it's in you to write. So I really like that part about it as well yeah the the idea that you don't necessarily need to be in a particular like area in order Mm -hmm. to find that conduit for the creativity i was like yes yeah yeah yes like the it's doing the work really yeah um and that's and i've been thinking about writing again and a lot of the time like i've just been reading things um about craft and stuff like that and it's just doing the work it's not overthinking it and just sitting your butt in the chair and getting the words down because they're not going to be right the first time. So get that down and you'll be okay. I think it's hard though. Editing and redrafts and, but I think it's really difficult though. I think that's, that's kind of where I struggle and we don't really talk that much about writing on this show, which we said we were going to do, <laughs> but the, the, but the, with myself, you know, there are all of these things I want to tell. What really frustrates me is they end up not coming out the way that I am, you know, that they are in my head. And it's me being the way that I am. It's really hard for me to just keep power through that and figure it out later. Like I want it to be on the page the way that it is in my head. You know what I mean? Like, yep. And so it's really, really difficult. Um, I liked also this part here where she talked about um, writing. How about the time not being right for a particular book? Like maybe you're not, you have the story, but you're not ready to tell the story. And she talked about Matthew Weiner, um, or Weiner, the creator of Mad Men, who mm-hmm. also worked on The Sopranos, but he also, but he's like, Mad Men was done before Soprano, The Sopranos. It just wasn't, I wasn't ready to tell that story. I wasn't in that point in my life where I could do that story any justice. And so that's why you got The Sopranos first. And they're like, yeah, she says, uh, they asked, she asked, uh, when you wrote Lynch, the idea was sparked by something you read by W.E.B. Dubois. Did you know this was the one that would break through? Like, this is a story that would break through. She says, at first, I didn't know it was going to be a novel. I thought it would be an essay, but I did. But I hit a brick wall in my research. I started to imagine what it was like for these women to be taken to a free state on holiday and their masters, and I called a friend and told her I was thinking of making it a novel. And it's like, I have to, I know in my own writing, I have to get past that. What did I think this was going to be? And just, you know, kind of let the story happen. So, you know. I also thought it was interesting that, um, for Winch, um, Dolan says that she didn't like have a writer's group to get feedback. I know um, we've talked about our writer's group and how we just can't quite seem to get it to curl over. Um, but I thought that the advice that she got from Colson Whitehead was very, it was awesome because he just said, you know, you don't necessarily need a group of people to tell you, you know, what's what but at least have one writer, um, he said a published writer, to exchange your work with. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, huh, okay, I can see that. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think that, um, and I was, I was kind of talking about this, um, a couple weeks ago, the idea of like beta readers and like writing groups, mm-hmm. I feel like in theory, they work amazingly for some people, but personally, I don't think that it's a thing for me. Yeah. And the thing, the reason why I think that is because I think that I would try to write to the people that are in the group instead yes. of writing to a wider audience. Yes, I have experienced that. I'll. I think I'm going to save some of. We should try probably circle back to this conversation yeah, we'll um, at another time. But I definitely know what you're talking about because that's been one of my bigger challenges. Is that you know I have this story and I know my style of writing and I know what I like to read and I know, and my my bigger issue is just being is not being influenced in that way, but being influenced by the exchange of work. So, like, if you're, if I'm writing this thing that's really kind of maybe a little bit out there and literary, and then everybody else in the group is writing something that's a little bit more contemporary and mainstream, nothing is wrong with either of those things, but I would find myself trying to make, like you said, trying to make this make sense to the group of people in the, in the story. And sometimes, you know, assuming that they wouldn't get it, you know, so I definitely understand. And we're going to have, um, we plan to talk a lot more about writing in our own writing and challenges and things like that in the future. So we'll table some of this discussion, but I thought it was really, really, um, that was one of the best parts of the interview. Um, I also talked, liked when they talked about, um, and we've, visited this, but not with these two particular authors, and it's weird, and I don't want to say it's weird, it's no coincidence that this is a, this keeps coming up, that they're talking about, you know, when people are asking for the rec- book recommendations, there's so many that these, like, writing groups, I mean, reading groups or whatever, uh, don't know, so many black authors that are just not known um, because they don't get the publicity and the marketing, but I thought it was interesting, she said that the people who do the um the black writers who do get the publicity, the marketing, the whatever, usually are rooted in academia. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting because I have not been able to put my finger on that, but that's what it is. They've gone to Iowa or they've done something in that respect. Or they're, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or they're like a professor. That's interesting that they're like steeped, you know, like they have sort of like the academia stamp of approval, so... So that's pretty neat. But it's interesting that these people are saying that they can't. I mean, these great writers that we know that people don't know, and they're saying, hey, we had to do the damn thing on <laughs> on Twitter, you know, in order to get our book out, which I'm seeing a lot more of. There was also this line here where she talked about, um, we don't often see, the question was, we don't often see black women and white women as friends in literature, which is a statement. And she said, and uh, Dolan says, in works by white authors, we do. In The Help, there was a relationship that Catherine Stopkin saw as the real friendship. But always present is the social hierarchy that, for me, puts the friendship into question. Yes, clearly, but I think that perhaps in the eyes of those writers, these are real friendships. It goes back to the narrative of the, of the mammy being like a mother, which... I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I don't know very many books about friendships with black and white women where the black woman is not a sidekick, an assistant, a maid, a nanny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. The only one that I can pull out of my head right now just off the top, mm-hmm. and I feel like even then this woman still wasn't like a main character, is Little Earthquakes by Jen Weiner. Yeah, yeah. She had the one black character, but I can't think of... <laughs> Um, 
yeah, I can't think offhand of a story that is about two women and one's black and one's white. Yeah. And there isn't any, like, disparity of power or anything. And even in Little Earthquakes, let me go back to that, because that relates to my question I have for you later. Okay. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I... Uh, you guys should check this article yeah, or this interview I'm gonna, out. Uh, link it in the show notes. So and I had never read Lauren Francis Sharma's book. I own it. Is it good? I haven't read it yet. Oh. I, you know oh. how I do. I bought it on the recommendation <laughs> of someone, and I think I might read it on my plane ride back into town next Wednesday. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then the last story, I know that uh, I'd seen it early last week, um, and the people, a, a few people have retweeted in my timeline, but I just thought it was really cool. Um, this barber in Dubuque, Iowa, uh, is giving haircuts to boys going back to school, and the only payment is they have to read him a book. I thought that was really cute. That's and, so uh, dope, and it I, reminded me of the barbershop books movement, um, yeah. which I kind of, I, I want to do something with that. Remember I told you my cousin owns a barbershop? Mm-hmm. I might, I don't know. I might try to put together a small something. Um, maybe can I, people involved. Can I tell you that I think that, and we had talked about that when we first brought up the barbershop books to, you know, reach out to local barbershops and let us know if you do anything like that. It's not that difficult. Like, I think that most of, like, if you are, you know, if you go into a barbershop, now I'm not talking about, like, a hybrid, but if you go into a, a when I say hybrid, I mean beauty and barbershop, mm-hmm. but if you go into, like, a standalone barbershop and you ask something like that, guys are likely to let you do it. They're like, all right, you know, whatever, that sounds cool. I don't think you have that kind of, it's not as easy to do <laughs> I think it has to do with the space thing. I think that the beauty, the barbershops are so minimal anyway that it's kind of like, yeah, if you can fit the thing in the corner, that's fine. But I think that this is a really good idea. I know I was saying a local barbershop, a couple of local barbershops here, I think have caught on to it. I wonder if you are in your area, maybe you don't have the books, if you could reach out to your local chapter of First Book. First mm-hmm. Book gives away books like no other and you can register for what's called the first book marketplace you can just google it and they give out books at sometimes like 80 percent off 50 percent off and so you can get books okay. for little or nothing if you if it's something you're really really interested in doing but you're maybe like well i don't know where i would get the books definitely reach out to first book sometimes they can't they just get books and they're like oh yeah we've got a case i used to do a lot of work with or actually i was a chair of our chapter of first book here in kansas city and um we did a lot of work but it's they are pretty good about giving you what you need if you if you let them know what you need so cool i will definitely have to look into layout but I love that even the part about getting them to read, read out loud and just like, that's, that's awesome. what I thought was so dope. Shout it's, out. It's one thing, you know, if you know, you just have books in the barbershop. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's not even saying that boys are going to pick up the books, but to make that a requirement of your, you know, like your yeah. haircut, that's dope. Way to go, Courtney Holmes. Shout out to and you, sir. In Dubuque, Iowa. Iowa. Mm, shout out to you for even being in Dubuque, Iowa. Iowa is a lovely place, but Yes. Moving right along. 
So Jennifer Weiner, you just leaner. You were just talking about her book, Little Earthquakes, and I am reading her latest book, Who Do You Love? Mm -hmm. A book that I purchased. <laughs> mm -hmm. A book that I purchased. You understand. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other complaint. I'm not even going to put them on blast like that. But yeah. the I'm not finished. So, you know, full disclosure, I am not finished with the book. But Jennifer Weiner does not have very many black characters in her books. And the last time she had one that was a central character, or at least kind of a main character, was, uh, oh gosh, what was her name? In little I can't even remember her name. She... Her husband was a basketball player, and she was a stay-at-home wife, a basketball wife, and her husband was a cheater, <laughs> basically, and she ended up having to, I think she ended up being a single mom at the end of that book. I don't even remember, and I've read that book five or six times. That's how much she gave that story. Anyway, but the husband was a cheater. And in her latest book, um, Who Do You Love, so far, the little boy is biracial. The main character, one of the main characters, that kind of tells the story over a long period of time. And the black, he's biracial, but he's he's black. Like you know, y'all know how it is. And so far, I'm not liking the portrayal of it. So I had a lot of problems with this book. I'm not done with it though. Yeah, I finished it, mm -hmm. and I. I think I'm going to go on record and say that I don't want ever again Jennifer Weiner to write a black character in a book of hers. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Let's put a pin in it. Everybody else, <laughs> y'all go read it, and then I'm going to finish it, and then we're going to come back to this, because this could be a hashtag problematic, because we have, we've given her a whole segment, haven't we? Mm -hmm. A whole episode, and we might have an issue on our hands. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Okay. So if you have not picked up Who Do You Love, go ahead and get it. How by any means necessary. Don't steal it. But like no. go get it. Go to the library or something. And then we will revisit this because I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Okay. Because then you also remember my story about tweeting her about the Uh huh, the breastfeeding thing. Breastfeeding thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. If you don't know that story, go back to is it the wine 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 episode? I think so, yes. Okay, and um, listen to that. Get prepared, because we're going to talk about it, mm -hmm. I think. Okay. <sighs> so, um, that's not what this show is about, though. This show is about books on books on books. Part do. <laughs> that's French <laughs> you know I say part deux all the time mm -hmm. um, despite not speaking a word of French just because I like how it sounds <laughs> it's a beautiful language anyway so we did this before and everybody seemed to like it I think I mean the feedback that we did get was positive mm -hmm. we liked it it was fun to do and um I think uh, people got really good book recommendations from it. You know, it's always cool. Like, even though people don't always reach out, they do tweet us sometimes. But it's also cool when you see people in Goodreads who are, like, books that we've discussed on the show. You can see people, see like, them adding them. them. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. We know y'all are listening. That's dope. Okay. Like, hmm. They listen. Yay. We have to say, good deal. All right. So, this one... This, the last list, 
I think we curated together. I had nothing to do with this one. This one was really hard. Yeah, the last one we did half and half. Okay. Yeah, this one was tough. Tough. But I did it. I'm ready. All right. Okay. <laughs> so the first one is name a book that you feel like everyone else but you has read. I chose the Harry Potter series. So I almost chose that. And then I remembered that I did read the first one. Well, I did read the first one. I didn't read the first one. And I did read half of the second one with um, Brooklyn. But I just never finished it. So I always think of them as a comprehensive, mm -hmm. you know, work. And I never read the rest. And so, like, when I get on the internet and people are saying all of these things, mm -hmm. I'm like, nope. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Y'all sound crazy. And they've been analyzing this book and these characters for a good 10, 15 years now. <laughs> Longer, 20 years now. And I just, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Sorry. <laughs> it's a good book. I mean, sure, it's a good series. The thing is, and I think most people who are really heavy into Harry Potter really understand when I say that I read the first one and I could barely get through that, mm -hmm. and then the second one was just okay, and people are like, oh, it doesn't get good until book four, and I'm like, oh, girl. <laughs> yeah, so no shade to Harry and the Potters, but I just <laughs> have, I have just not got into it. But maybe I, me and Brooklyn read one in the, the, the first and second one or the part of the second one together and we read them out loud so maybe when she's ready to keep going mm -hmm. I will but okay, they're not audio audible either because I thought I would shortcut it that way nah because they only on Pottermore yeah oh yeah I'm not no okay <laughs> 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 you ain't about that life no no okay <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of cheated right here because I couldn't think of one off top so um I said good night, Moon. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that was inspired by um, that interview with uh, Dolan uh, Perkins Valdez and Lauren Francis Sharma because Dolan says that um, she'd never even heard of Good Night Moon before somebody gave it to her as a gift for her child. Oh, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, I, I was like, oh, I've never read that either. I'd heard it, heard of it, but I didn't read it until um, somebody gave it to Brooklyn as a present when she was a baby. And it was one of her favorite books. It's such a simple book. I don't. It's one of those books that's really like, Bleh. okay, mm -hmm. but kids like it. I don't know why. Repetition, Any, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you'll have to get dive into that one day. <laughs> oh yeah, when my non-existent kids come. Yeah. <laughs> or just when you have five seconds at Target. <laughs> It's a quick read. Anyway, okay, so name a book you wish you hadn't read so you could experience reading it for the first time again. So this one was actually really hard for me to pick one because I was trying to pick a book that we hadn't discussed on the show previously. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, okay, like every book that came to mind instantaneously, I'm pretty sure that I've fangirled over at least once before. And right. so I went to Goodreads to look at all the books that I've rated five stars. And one that came up and I was like, oh, yes, um, was The Wake of the Wind by J. California Cooper. Okay. And so it is about these two people in like antebellum slavery basically trying to create a life together. But what's so cool about it is that like it tells the story of like their ancestors' travels or, you mm -hmm. know, capture and eventual travel. And so the ancestors of the two main characters, um, Lifey and Mordecai, 
um, they were friends. Uh, they were two boys who were friends in uh, Western Africa, and they were brought over together as slaves, but then they were sent to separate plantations. Mm-hmm. And so um, Lyfe and Mordecai come together, and they're descendants of each of those boys. Okay. Yeah, and so it tells a story um, of them trying to make a way for themselves. Uh, and J. California Cooper is the truth. If you have never read any of her books, I don't know what your life is about. I okay, I'll get on that. <laughs> oh, what is that? <laughs> you know, I oh, I think I own J. California Cooper books somewhere. I mean, on like one of my devices, I just never. No, yes, I have. I've read a J. California Cooper book way back. It's been a long time, though. Yes, I have. I'm thinking of somebody else. Oh, this was a crazy question. I was like, all, all of the ones that I like, you know. Um, this is going to be so bad because I know I've probably fangirled about this book. Um, but it, it's the writing. It's Sula is what I chose. Um, just because, oh, God, it's just such good writing and such an amazing story and such a telling of like the experience of being a black woman in this country and the types of black women these two very different kinds of women and this friendships it's a friendship story and it's just oh my gosh Toni Morrison stuck her whole foot in Sula mm-hmm. and I just love it and it's 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 not the you know, any particular plot twist or anything like that. It's just the way that that book made me feel when I finished it. I wish I could relive that fresh, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. a good damn story. Yeah. And it's not a book, Sula is not a book that I'm like, oh, I'll read it 50 million times. It's just not like that. Like, I I just, you ever, like, watch a movie? Well, okay. <laughs> 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 Dang! Oh my goodness, it's a palm tree in Google Hangouts right now. Cause my gosh. Okay, audience, we're talking to you. Like, have you ever just like watched a movie that was so good, like a Schindler's List? Have you seen Schindler's List? Exactly. So <laughs> it's like Schindler's List was such a good movie, but I don't ever need to watch it again because it was so powerful and so much. It was just a lot that like to watch it again would I would have to be like in a crazy emotional space to watch it again and experience that film again. It's the same way I feel about Sula. Okay. No shade. I can take it. Yeah. All, all right. of that shade towards me, but that's fine. You know, it's okay. One day I'm going to watch a movie or something. Yeah. I watched a movie the other day, actually, in a theater. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and my life was forever changed. <laughs> I told you. Okay. So the next one is um, name an author you think people need to read more. Do you want me to go? Or you go? You go. Okay. Um, n- Her name is Netta Jackson. And the books are... Um, okay, so Netta Jackson is, is a Christian author. She mm-hmm. is. And um, if you're not a Christian person, maybe you won't like the books. I don't know. But I think they are just really light and easy reads. She she has a series of books called um, The Yada Yada Prayer Group. And there's about seven or eight of these books. And they're about, like, a group of diverse women who live in Chicago. And they are, like, a middle-aged white lady who, like, and she's got teenage kids. And she grew up, you know, fundamentalist, good Christian girl. And she 
enters into this prayer group with all of these different types of women. Uh, one woman is Jewish, another woman is like an ex-crackhead who's trying to get her kids back, and then you've got like this, you know, just this kind of really diverse group of women and all these different uh, backgrounds and experiences and how they experience, they're all going through this drama, you know, different things in their lives, but how it um, how they all experience God and like the the themes of the book are really simple. So it's not a whole lot of you know if you haven't accepted the Lord as your salvation. It's not necessarily it's not that. It's very much about like I had to learn grace, and so then this book will be centered around being about being a gracious person, but also you know forgiving other people, and then you know so they all have these things. Not a super heavy literary anything. Like the books are like they look like chitlet chick lit books like pot pink and green they're just feet and socks and flowers and shit but they are but they're really um fun kind of interesting and good reads i think and um some of those kind of books that i would read when i was trying to get away from some other kind of heavier reading and then she's got like offshoots of those like um, other series that are really, really good too. That are kind of spinoffs of this original. So I say, if you kind of like um, sort of a chick lit contemporary fiction um, with a message, and you don't mind a little bit of a religious slant, um, I would say that her books are a lot of fun. Sometimes not the best written. Like she can say she can be very repetitive, but still very fun. Good. Yeah. And what was her <laughs> name again? Netta Jackson. N e t a. Jackson. Oh, righty. She's okay. not black. She's white. I thought she was black because her name was Netta Jackson. But <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. All right. So um, the author that I chose that I think people need to read more is um, Diane McKinney Whetstone. Oh yeah. Uh, I stand for her, and a lot of people I don't think even know like who she is mm. which is insane she writes amazing novels um most which i think take place in philly um and they are very um much about the black experience in america and it's not like oh i'm telling you about like um people experiencing racism and da 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 no it's just like it's talking about black life in ways that black people can relate to it's um i believe most of her books are set um anywhere from like the 1950s to like the 80s early 90s mm. and one of my personal favorite books by her is Trade in Dreams at Midnight which I know I've talked about on this show before mm -hmm. um, so yeah I think that anybody who can read should <laughs> be reading Diane McKinney Whetstone but um, I think that the, the listeners of this podcast in particular would really get into her works because uh, they are just um, it's amazing writing and like the way that she weaves like the setting with words is just ridiculous. Like I just can't. Yeah, I have her on my list, my want to read list twice for two different books, like Tempest Rising, Tempest Rising. Mm -hmm. and then the one you just said, Trading Dreams at Midnight. So yeah. yeah, I have been on. Do you hear me? Like we were, I was like, I can't read. I don't want to read. Forget <laughs> books. And then last week or so, I have been on it. So I'm back and I will try to get some of these books knocked out. <laughs> I will definitely check her out. Name a book that starts with the letter T, not including the word the. Okay, so after I do this, and before we go on to the next one, remind me to say something. So the book that I chose is, and it starts with the, but all of the letters in the title works out. It starts with T as well. Okay. The Tempest Tales by um, Walter Mosley. Okay. 
And this book is really interesting because it is um, the premise of it is that this guy gets shot accidentally and he goes to the um, the gates of heaven and St. Peter refuses to let him in because he says that he's a sinner and, um, you know, he's sinned too much to get into the gates of heaven. He argues back and forth with St. Peter, like, actually, you know, I'm a sinner because living in this world on earth as a black man sometimes you have to sin in order to get by and so it's like a tale of morality um and so he gets sent back to earth Mm -hmm. um to try to basically um convince you know the angel that's sent back with him that he deserves his spot in heaven and so like every time they get into these situations and tempest has to do something that's a sin he basically points out how the inequalities um between the races here kind of lend itself lends itself to um people having to do things that are not necessarily morally correct or um in some cases are corrupt just in order to be able to get by okay so it, it was really interesting. Um, it kind of went away from um, a typical Walter Mosley book because his books are generally um, detective novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really, really good. Okay. Huh. You know, I still haven't read any Walter Mosley. See, I say these things and I'm like, let me think back to when I was young and single with lots of time on my hands. I probably have. I don't think I have, though. Sounds really good. Yeah. The Tempest Tales. All right. So mine was the book Tenderheaded, a comb bending collection of hair stories. Um, It's edited by uh, Pamela Johnson, Juliet Harriet, and oh, it's just Harriet, not Harriet. Hold on. (laughs) Pamela Johnson and Juliet Harris. And Tenderheaded is a collection of um, like poems, photographs, excerpts from plays, all kinds of things about black hair and the black experience with hair, women specifically. Um, and it is the coolest book. I would not recommend getting this book like in the ebook version. I would get the hard book, hardcover or paperback because it has like, you know, pictures in it and the way that the poems are formatted. Like it very much matters, you know, the format does. And sometimes you can lose that but it's such a good book about just our hair and like the you know people's pressing comb stories there's like an excerpt from a play about madam cj walker um there's great pictures in there um stories just about our hair getting your hair burned out with a perm Mm -hmm. um getting you know even the cover, if you look it up, is a really cool painting of a girl getting her hair pressed and, like, her mama's got rollers and just an experience. It's, like, how much our hair means to us. There's also some interviews about, like, hair, our hair being unprofessional. Um, there is, was it a play or something where she had to go to court to plead for her job because her hair was unprofessional, supposedly. Um, there is a lot of work here by, our works by, uh, Alice Walker, Bell Hooks, Toni Morrison's got a piece in there. There's some great, great um, stuff in there from Angela Davis, and it talks about hair in Africa, and it's just such a cool, cool, cool book. I used to have the physical copy of this book, and I left it in my grandma's. I don't know what happened to it. I want to order another one, though, because it's one of those you want to keep. 
you know, for a long yeah. time. You can get the hardcover from half.com for like 75 cents, or Amazon's got it for a penny. Uh, the paperback is on Prime for 17.27 new. So it's definitely still around. Um, it came out in 2002, so it's not super old, but okay. If you haven't checked it out, it's just, you know, definitely just one of those kind of anthology of work, but very, very good and very funny in parts and just, it will resonate with y'all. So, <laughs> Tinderheaded, a comb-bending collection of hair stories by Juliet Harris and Pamela Johnson. <laughs> so, I realized okay, so. that the next one was supposed to be, name a book that starts with the letter J, but I am stupid and I didn't put it in there. <laughs> And I was like, I was wondering about that, but I, I didn't know. It in my brain and not actually in the Google document. So yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. My brain like just is not working. Okay. All right, we'll add you to books on books part three. Part two, part three. Okay. All right. So the next one is name a book whose movie adaptation is better than the text. I had two. Okay. First one is Julie and Julia. Um, Julie and Julia, and then the other one was Forrest Gump. So I'll tell you, for people that don't know about Julie and Julia, if you don't know about Forrest Gump, I don't know what to tell you. But it is a book about um, a, a writer who pledges to make, her name is Julie Powell, and she pledges to make a book. I mean, to do the whole joy, is it the joy of cooking? No. Mastering art, the art of French cooking. So she pledges to do one of those recipes, or the, the whole book, in a year in her little apartment kitchen and how, you know, it's kind of like a memoir of that experience. And it's super cute, and it won some awards and great. But then the movie came out, and the movie uh, starred, um, oh, not, what is her name? Not Rachel McAdams, but... Um, the really talented one. Oh, shade. Um, I don't know who was in that movie. Was it? Um, she doesn't matter so much as Meryl Streep was in that movie, <laughs> and so. And the way what they did with the movie is that they um is Amy Amy McAdams. Amy Adams. And um, what they did with the movie was they didn't just tell this woman's side of it, like her cooking these recipes and how it affected her life and her family and blah blah blah, but it told the story of Julia Childs, you know, learning how to cook and her kind of life story and how she got this, uh, the, the cookbook actually written and that type of thing. And so, of course, Meryl Streep uh, killed it. And <laughs> she was a great Julia Childs. I believe she was nominated for an Oscar. She might have won that hoe. <laughs> but <laughs> she does. Um, and so, no, she didn't win it, but she was nominated. And it's such a good movie, so it's far better than the book. And then, I mean, Forrest Gump, I don't know. They couldn't have made <laughs> – I mean, they did such a phenomenal job on that movie um, that it was really hard for the book to live up to it. So everybody read the book – most people read the book after the movie and were like, uh-uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, those are my two. All right. So my pick is kind of controversial, but whatever. We told the line all the time. Um, uh, so mine was Harry Potter, <laughs> but not the entire series because I didn't okay. read them. The only one I read was the first book. Okay. Um, and the first movie kept my attention better than the first book. And I don't even watch movies. So that says a lot. I can see that. So I think it's Harry Potter and what the Sorcerer's Stone, I think, is the first one. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
yeah so yeah but that that that's my pick for a movie that was better than the book okay name a book you'd recommend a teen read after reading this i was like you really i i hope tamika got what i was trying to say i did um because <laughs> it was mad awkwardly uh written but nevertheless um, the book i chose was lord of the flies oh okay i don't know if it is a required reading in many curriculums it was for us when i was in high school but that was in um 1952 mm-hmm. so i don't really know what the kids are reading these days um, <laughs> i think they're still reading it i just remember uh thinking that even um as like a 14 year old reading it. I just remember thinking that like the book was very much a reflection of society as a whole. Uh huh. And you know, each of the boys basically were different facets of society. And I think it's um, important for teens to read this because a lot of, especially today's teens, um, and I'm going to generalize, yes I am. They have this um, sense of entitlement and they have no idea of, uh, the they don't know that you have to work in order to earn shit in Mm. order to live your life and so i think that some of the lessons that the boys learned um while they were on this island could definitely do these raggedy teens out here some good you sound very get off my lawn i you know what i'm settling nice and fine into 33 me too i'm very into I feel the same. I'm sure somebody said about me in my in my teen years the oh, same absolutely. thing. Absolutely, I'm absolutely positive that somebody said this. But then I grew up and I evolved and I realized, hey, I they were right. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, that's true. I didn't think of that book. No, mine. I had two sets. Okay. Teenage years are so broad. You know, like a 13 year old is not an 18 year old. Mm-hmm. So. I chose for the older teens, like 17, 18 years, and I don't know why my brain specifically went to girls, but I guess boys could too, read the entire West End series. And that would be some things I never thought I'd do, Babylon Sisters, Baby Brothers Blues, and uh, Seen It All and Done the Rest. And the reason why um, is because she talks a lot about the dynamics between women and men and men and how men are supposed to be mm-hmm. without making it like men can only be this thing, but as a man, you should have integrity, or as a person, really. I mean, I mean, in all honesty, she covers it both on both ends, but um, it's about having integrity and being a responsible person and taking care of yourself and the people around you and your community. And um, she touches on, you know, we are all... Um, deserving of respect and dignity, whether we are a stripper in the strip club or, you know, an artist who takes pictures and grows greens in the garden, whoever, we're all um, (laughs) worthy of respect and protection and to be treated well. And she also gives some really good lessons about love and what relationships are supposed to look like and um, or good relationships should look like, I should say. And so I just would recommend those to anybody kind of entering into adulthood. For younger kids, because they're so unaware sometimes and un aware of how their actions affect others. I picked something as simple and young as Blubber by Judy Bloom. Um, It's a a book about some pretty horrific uh, bullying and how I think just sometimes younger kids can lack empathy and a book that it kind of 
helps them to understand what that feels like from both sides and how far it can go. Not that it would change any kid's mind, but sometimes, you know, you have to be exposed to the other side of, of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it just, I'm not just, I wouldn't just recommend it in terms of bullying, but just being an empathetic person, period. So those are the two that I chose. Okay. Okay. I didn't like this next one. You <laughs> asked, uh, name the best book you've read all year. So mine was Citizen by Claudia Ranking. Mm -hmm. I went back and forth actually between like three or four books, but then Mm -hmm. I settled on this one. And I think the reason why I settled on it because it was so tiny yet so powerful. And I thought that it was very poignant and um, timely, especially for a lot of the shit that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that... uh, Claudia Rankine is just a master of language Mm -hmm. and I would even hesitate I mean I wouldn't hesitate to say that this should be like required reading for people oh yeah it should be it definitely should be I had a hard time with this one because the books the best book was hard for me because I like certain books for different reasons if that Mm -hmm. makes sense so like god help the child because i had i mean i needed that tony morrison fix in the writing and then there was you know still alice which was not the best book i read but the things that i have happening in my family life Mm -hmm. it resonated so on and on and on god i finally settled on faith unraveled by rachel held evans which i had not read on here before I mean, I have not discussed on here before, but I did. I started it, and I something happened, and I didn't finish it. So I just recently finished, like, the last couple of chapters. But it's about a person, um, this woman, and her faith journey and how she went. She was about my age, and she grew up going into um, really big kind of uh, fundamentalist Southern Baptist, a huge evangelical Awanas um, <laughs> um, church. And it talks about her starting to ask these questions and how difficult it is to start asking questions when you're taught not to ask questions. Just This is what we believe and that's it. But her faith journey was really, really interesting. And as she started to um, question things about her own faith, she finally lands on the fact that she doesn't want to be a part of any religion where she can't ask questions and where the, and, and where the ideology is so definitive and so final you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, anyway it's just a really 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 good book you don't even necessarily need to be particularly religious her journey into kind of where she is today anybody that's ever had a crisis of faith of any kind even if you're atheist uh, whatever could really get a lot out of her journey I think and it was just really well written and so it's called Faith Unraveled by Rachel Held Evans that's the one I chose because I had to <laughs> thanks a lot <laughs> way to be definitive yeah I did. I did. The next one, you said, you said, uh, name a book by an author with your initials. Okay. So, because I couldn't find anybody readily that has, my initials are J.D. I just went first name, last name. And I couldn't find nobody whose first name, last name was J.D. So, I chose J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye. I was like, well... JC is in there. Excuse me, are we friends? <laughs> Do you not know? <laughs> Hello? You couldn't think of nobody named JD? Oh my gosh! Oh, <laughs> oh smack me in the mouth. I feel so betrayed. Oh my good. I feel like an idiot. 
what am I thinking? Sorry, guys. Let's go ahead and scratch that. Uh, Juno Diaz. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Do you know? Like, I've. Okay. You know what? We're going to blame the food com- coma and brunch. Okay. Because I. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just blame it on I the chicken and oh my god, the chicken and waffles. I had chicken and waffles too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh mm, mm, mm. I oh just knew you were gonna say. God. I can't believe that I just fucked that up. <laughs> Mine was uh, Trisha Thomas. Nice, and that was I. She was the first person to come to me, and I didn't look no further because I would give myself a headache. Uh, Trisha R. Thomas wrote the. Um, we don't share the same middle initial, um, but she wrote the Napoli Ever After series, and there are about seven books, I believe, in the Napoli Ever After series, plus she's got, um, oh, actually, I'm sorry, eight, and she's got another book called Roadrunner in addition to those, and um, it's a really good, you know, fun series about a woman. It starts off with her cutting off her very long, relaxed hair, and going for short and natural, I believe, and it just continues on through her life. If you like fun, chick-lit, Sophia, Kinsella-type books, something, you know, not too heavy, but really, really good, you should check out the Napoli Ever After series by Trisha Thomas. So, the next one is name a celebrity memoir or biography worth reading. All right. That sounds shady when I read it back. Well, it is what it is. Okay. There's a lot of memoirs out there, but they're not all worth reading. You want to go first? Sure. Um, so the one I chose was Unbearable Lightness, A Story of Loss and Gain by Portia de Rossi. Oh. And, okay. yeah, it tells a story. Um, she had uh, an eating disorder. I think she, uh, bulimia. I'm like, what's the one when you vomit? I always mm-hmm. get it messed up. Yeah, mm-hmm. she had bulimia, um, though, and she actually, like, had it all the time while she was on, like, Ally McBeal and all of that or whatever, and it kind of, like, details um, her story uh, starting from her childhood into, you know, how she developed the eating disorder, um, and when she got down to, like, her lowest of low, she was, like, 82 pounds, um, and then her eventual recovery um, and road to healthiness. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting because like it got down to the nitty gritty. Like she, you know, she could have chosen to not tell us how bad off she got, you know, yeah. like she could have just said, Oh, I got down to 80 pounds and it was, you know, terrible, but no, like, and like she got a lot of flack because a lot of people were like, Oh, she didn't really go into depth about, you know, all of the steps that she took, um, to, you know, get healthy and to, change her um, mindset about food and eating and things of that nature. And they were like, but she got so detailed about, you know, the eating disorder and they were basically pinning it as like a how to guide. Aww. And I was like, that's not fair. Like, that's not fair. And that's really shitty to say that she wrote this book as a how to guide for people to how, you know, like, cause it, like she, it got so crazy that like she was um, putting like a piece of gum into her log of like how many calories she could eat daily. And like she knew that the piece of gum was five calories. And one day like she snapped and ate an entire pack of gum. And then she was overcome with guilt immediately. And she's like in the Beverly center uh, parking lot doing lunges, trying to work off all of the calories consumed by what, like it was probably like a hundred calories. Cause was it 20 pieces of gum in a pack? Um, Yeah. Yeah, so she was, like, lunging across the Beverly Center parking lot, like, crying and trying to work off, you know, this gum or whatever. And that was, like, one of her breaking points. Um, but I was actually I, – I don't know why I picked up this book. I don't even know where I got it from. I actually, like, have a hard copy of it. And 
I was shocked by it. I was shocked mm-hmm. by it for two reasons. One, because I didn't really know much of Portia de Rossi, um, the actress, really. I didn't watch Ally McBeal, and I know she's in, like, movies and stuff like that, but I didn't really know too much about um, her on that level. And two, I was actually shocked by the level um, of depth of her writing. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there was, like, ghostwriter situations or whatever, but um, it was very uh, heart-wrenching, and, like, I was like... Oh my god, girl, I feel so bad for you. Um, I'm glad I'm glad that she said that because I was a big fan of hers. I used to think she's so gorgeous. And I remember at the time when that show was out, there was a lot of criticism about not just her, but also um Callista Flockhart um being so thin and then there was a huge thing with, you know, the years after Nicole Richie and they kind of really would zone in on these girls for being too thin. And I I, I was a huge fan of hers and I like um the show Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. It's really very funny um, show, and she's really good on there too. And so I just did not know um, that much about you know her. I you know you could kind of tell she had some sort of food issue, but you couldn't really tell what. And um, I remember that book coming out and not being like, oh, we'll see. I'm not really you know what I'm mm-hmm. you know how it is with celebrity memoirs. Sometimes you're like, oh girl. And so I'm glad you said such nice things about it because now I want to read it because I was a huge fan of hers. Still am actually. Yeah, it was good. Unbearable Lightness by Portia de Rossi. And her and Ellen are super... So cute. So cute. Okay. Uh, mine is... I've, oh, gosh, I don't know if I've ever said this. My absolute favorite um, biography, um, period, celebrity, is Diana Ross, a biography by J. Randy Tarabarelli. <laughs> I can never <laughs> say his name. He also is the guy that wrote uh, The Magic and the Music, um, which is the one by about Michael Jackson, but this one about Diana Ross is so good. Um, And it just talks about Diana Ross and her story and how she is. And, you know, (laughs) so Diana Ross has a reputation for being a diva and how she's always been this way. And it it very much talks about, you know, people just know that's how she is or how she's always been. Um, Even when they were poor and didn't have nothing, she was like that so... None of the people around her seemed particularly surprised. Sometimes they'd be angry, and sometimes they would be shocked, you know, in a, in a way like, oh, no, she didn't. But nobody was, it wasn't out of character. Like, I guess I'm saying Diana Ross's divaness did not come with fame and money. She came to the table like that, mm-hmm. um, but also a very good friend and very good mother. Um, and very focused on her kids. So I like the book. Um, he writes these super long books, and um, but they're worth the read. The only thing I would say with this book is to read it, but also read like um, Mary Wells' story as well. She wrote, she wrote a book. Um, I forgot the name of it, but she has a book. And then um, also read Diana Ross's own autobiography, Secrets of a Sparrow. So as you know, it's like the truth is you know, somewhere in the middle. So I would say if you're going to read that, you read this one, you'll be like, oh, gosh, she's a monster. But then you'll read Mary's, and you'll be like, okay, she was like this, but she was still, you know, they were all like this, and she was a decent friend or whatever. And then you'll read hers, and it's like, oh, this was overblown. (laughs) All of it. So, um, Did I ever tell you that um, Mary Wilson is my second cousin, third cousin? You're kidding. No. Um, yeah, no, she's my third cousin. Yeah, because she's my dad's second cousin. That's crazy. Seriously. Yeah. And we that. had a family reunion once, and it was actually her daughter who had coordinated it. And so she was there, but she was not very nice to a 12-year-old J. Nick. So 
Yeah, so I've heard this before. I mean, I don't know, like, her on a familial level, but I've heard that she, you know, none of these people were particularly, like, (laughs) sweethearts. Oh, it's Dream Girl. My life isn't supreme. None of these people were particular sweethearts any damn way. Like, Florence Ballard, everybody's like, oh, Florence got the hose because she soulful singer and Barry Gordy like Diana Ross. But it was like, yeah, but Florence was not like, oh, this demure, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that Mary Wilson's book does a really good job of telling the kind of dichotomy between these these two women, and then this book kind of lays it all out, and then Diana tells her side of the story, like, girl, I don't know what they were talking about when <laughs> me. So I think it's really good, though, if you like, like, girl groups and, like, diva and pop stars and celebrity. It's really good. Okay, last one. Yeah. <laughs> Name a nonfiction must-read. So the book I chose is Infidel by Ayan Hirsi Ali. Huh. Which I didn't know, but this book got a lot of, um, there was a lot of like backlash for this book after the fact. Uh Um, So this book is about this woman who um, was raised in Islam, in the Islamic religion, Lord. You know, she was raised in Islam, like Islam is a place. Um, And so she, um, it like tells her story of like how she's uh, survived all of these different things that happen in her life uh, from like civil wars to like getting beat and you know all of this crazy tragic stuff that happened to her um, until she escaped this uh, forced marriage and moved to the Netherlands and sought asylum and all this stuff and so she um, eventually becomes like a member of parliament and like is fighting for the rights of women, um, of Muslim women, and, like, trying to get them to reform Islamic laws and things of that nature. And so the thing was is that a lot of people are saying that the book painted Islam in a terrible light Mm -hmm. and that she told a very skewed version of events and that basically um, they called her an Islamophobe. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, there's been a ton of backlash. and I can't speak to any of that because I don't have any of that knowledge. But as far as just the telling of a story and one that is based in real life events, it's an excellent book to read. Okay. Okay. Can you say it again? Infidel by Ayan Hirsi Ali. All right. I'll have to check it out. I guess I'll go back to Afghanistan. <laughs> Bye reading. All right, so mine is Nickel and Dimed on Not Getting By in America by Barbara Ironreich. I always mess her last name up. It's like E-H-R-E-N-R-E-I-C-H. It's a pretty popular book. It's published about 14 years ago, but it's basically about, um, it's kind of a investigative journalism, like a investigative journalist account of uh, different workers um, in America, and basically being the working poor in America. So she follows these people who, by the rhetoric, the rhetoric surrounding welfare reform. So basically, like, you gotta work. If you don't work, you don't eat. And why should we have welfare? And if you just get a job and pull up your bootstraps and blah 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 blah. And so <laughs> the assumption that people who require assistance are just not 
doing enough or not working hard enough or that are, they're lazy. So she answers the question, um, how could anyone survive, let alone prosper, on what amounts to about 6 to $7 an hour. Now, mind you, this was written back in 2001, but those rates have not gone up very much at all, uh, depending on the job. So she moves around from different states, uh, different parts of the country, takes the cheap, cheapest lodging available. So a lot of people live in hotels, right, from week to week, or they live in uh, rented rooms or whatever. And she starts working herself as a waitress, as a maid, um, at, uh, like a hotel maid, as a house cleaner, as a nursing home maid, and then as a Walmart person. And she's uh, like kind of immerses herself in these in these worlds and talks to the people that works there, and she writes about the conditions there. And it's just like, hey, these people are not not working. You know, these people are not lazy. But this is the circumstances that you're giving these people work. You know, uh, just as many hours in the day as anybody else, and they can't support their families. They're struggling. They're dirt poor. What do you want them to do? You know, why should these people be shamed for needing assistance? And so, um, I read this book. Um, a little bit after it came out. It's been a while, but it was one of the better books that I've read as far as a non-fiction book, and it really does kind of answer that question about, you know, how is it that we have people here that are working and they're still not able to do to do well. They're not able to, to feed their families. There was a lady that died in the Dunkin' Donuts. She was in Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. She had been working three jobs, and I think this that job was one of them. And she died, basically left the car running, and somehow... Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it was the car fumes really so much as it was just her heart or her body just gave, gave out, out in addition to, yeah. And it was like this woman was working freaking 18-hour days at three different jobs just to make ends meet, and should she have to? And so, um, again, as this book is a little bit old, not super old because I was in college when it came out, thank you very much, When you we have the new discussion now about um, the raising, raising the minimum wage and what that means, and I think this is really relevant. If you've never read Nickel and Dime, it's not a hard read. It's really interesting because she kind of, again, immerses herself in these worlds. And so I highly recommend it if you haven't touched it. All right. Well, looks like we've reached the end of the road. We've done it. So we did it. if you guys would like to see us do another or hear us do another books on books, how about you send us some <laughs> categories um, of books that you would like. I think it'd be fun to hear some from you guys. Um, I like these. I think um, I get a lot of book recommendations from you, and I think people get, you know, some books to add to their TBRs. Mm -hmm. um, I know I definitely click on Goodreads like want to read, want to read, want to read. Yeah. So hopefully you guys are doing the same and if you have any that you would like us to cover categories that we'd like to that you would like for us to cover, we'd be happy to do another one of uh, types of episodes. Oh, the, what you call it? Oh, it's going to be too late. Never mind. Sorry if you didn't enter the Amazon or the uh -oh. Kindle contest. Too bad. Yeah. Catch us on the next one. Yeah, catch us on the next giveaway. Real quick, I just want to say happy birthday to me. <laughs> Because this episode posts on my birthday. Oh. And awesome. I am going to be lit. And it's going to be so great. <laughs> okay. So great. Anytime somebody sings about being lit, <laughs> hey. they're going to be lit. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, happy birthday, friend. I won't talk. Well, yeah, I will. I'll talk to you again before then. Oh. In any event, keep it true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so hip. Can we just end every 
episode what you saying and keep it real keep it real yeah sure why not anyway we hope you guys enjoyed this show we'll see y'all next week <laughs> bye, bye.